1: Lafayette Square in Washington, D.C. is an elegant public park located across the street from the White House. It has big, beautiful trees and several large statues. It's popular with tourists and protesters who often gather on the park's south edge, the one nearest the White House. This was a quite different scene back in 1800. The park was used as the staging ground for the construction of the White House. They called it President's Park. And at various times, it was a zoo, a graveyard, a racetrack, a slave market, even an encampment for soldiers. And on one sunny winter day in 1859, Lafayette Park was the site of one of the most significant murders in American history. A sitting U.S. congressman walks up to a U.S. attorney in broad daylight. He fires several shots at point-blank range. The prosecution later argued that the shocking murder turned the idyllic square into a carnival of blood.
2: I mean, literally, if it was an episode of House of Cards, you wouldn't believe it, right? But it really happened. You know, there's really nothing like it in American political history.
1: The author of The Star-Spangled Banner, the nation's national anthem, was a lawyer and amateur poet named Francis Scott Key. We all learned in school that he penned the poem after he watched the British bombardment of Fort McHenry during the War of 1812. He saw the American flag still flying over the fort at dawn the next morning. Francis Scott Key's son was Barton Key, and he was the attorney shot dead in Lafayette Square. His killer was a crazed congressman from New York named Daniel Sickles. Sickles' lawyers employed a bold legal defense strategy. They argued he was not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. This season of The Thread unravels the complicated history of the insanity defense. recap our thread so far, episode one was the story of James Holmes, the young man who opened fire on a Colorado movie theater in 2012.
0: Holmes has pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity.
1: Doctors diagnosed Holmes with a mental illness, but the jury decided he was legally sane and therefore guilty of his crimes. That verdict was in part the product of growing public skepticism about the insanity defense, a skepticism fueled by the acquittal of earlier defendants like Lorena Bobbitt from episode
0: two. It was a story about a woman who said that her husband had been abusing her in terrible, horrific ways for years, and she did something horrible.
1: Bobbitt admitted to cutting off her husband's penis, but a jury found her not guilty by reason of insanity. John Hinckley Jr. tried to kill the President of the United States in 1981. He was acquitted on similar grounds, an outcome that shocked the public and changed the law. And.
0: There were uh, congressional hearings about the insanity defense and then uh, uh, reconsiderations around the country. And the short of it was that in the half decade after uh, the Hinckley trial, uh, the insanity defense was
1: reformed in, in 38 states. The American public and the legal system were more open to insanity pleas prior to Hinckley. One of the best examples of that was the landmark trial of Harry K. Thaw the Pittsburgh millionaire who murdered the wealthy architect Stanford White in a fit of rage back in 1906. Harry Thaw's high-paid lawyers had a plan. They came up with the term of a brainstorm that uh, Harry was suffering from, a temporary brainstorm. The temporary brainstorm defense worked, in part because of another case almost half a century earlier, the first in America to invoke the temporary insanity defense, the case of Congressman Dan Sickles and his horrific act in Lafayette Park in 1859.
2: I've often referred to Dan Sickles as kind of a combination of uh, Donald Trump, Anthony Weiner, and O.J. Simpson.
1: James Hessler is a historian, a battlefield guide
2: at Gettysburg National Military Park, and the author of Sickles at Gettysburg. I used that analogy for many years and people used to laugh, uh, but now with the political aspects of it, uh, they kind of get uncomfortable with the uh, Trump comparison. But the idea was, you know, Dan Sickles was a larger than life, brash New Yorker.
1: Like Donald Trump, Sickles came from a well-heeled New York family.
2: He was born in 1819 in New York City, uh, to fairly prosperous parents, and I think as kind of an only child, uh, he was spoiled, he was rebellious, and, uh, you know, he never really grew up.
1: The young Sickles tried his hand at the printing trade, but eventually settled on a career as a lawyer and then as a politician. Sickles was elected to the New York State Assembly in 1847. At the age of 33, Sickles fell in love with a woman less than half his age, a 15-year-old named Teresa Bagioli. Teresa was young, but she was mature beyond her years, precocious, refined. She spoke five languages. They married and settled down in New York. Sickles ran for Congress a few years later.
2: So in 1856, he's elected to Congress. Dan and Teresa and their young daughter move to, uh, uh, to Washington, D.C., and they end up setting up household on fashionable Lafayette Square, uh, which was and still is immediately behind the White House.
1: It was in Washington that Dan and Teresa met the handsome man who had changed their lives forever. Francis Scott Key was nominated to be the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia 20 years after he wrote the Star-Spangled Banner. His son, Philip Barton Key, also known as Barton Key, later served in that same position.
2: Philip Barton Key seems to have differed from his father in a couple of ways. Uh, Significantly, Philip Barton Key was a uh, more of, shall we say, a ladies' man and uh, less studious than his father was.
1: By the time Dan and Teresa Sickles arrived in Washington in 1857, Barton Key was a 38-year-old widower with four children with a well-established reputation.
2: While he was a district attorney in Washington, Key seemed to uh, be quite a, a favorite on the Washington social circuit, uh, would often attend parties, uh, again a great favorite of all of the uh, single women in, in society, and uh, just considered a, uh, an all-around player.
1: Key was a tall lawyer with a mustache. He looked like a sandy-haired version of the actor Kevin Kline. One prominent DC hostess described him as the handsomest man in all of Washington society.
2: And uh, it was said that he once reportedly bragged that he only needed 36 hours with any woman uh, to get her to do whatever he wanted. So, you know, I kind of think is, the guy's really a professional rake.
1: The dapper Key attended an inaugural ball for President James Buchanan in 1857. That's where he met the beautiful wife of New York's newest congressman. It was the beginning of the end for Barton Key.
2: You know, people often portray Key as a victim, but yeah, you know, Key you could kind of argue was a little bit of a, uh, a scumbag too. And I think uh, just sort of getting his uh, his scoundrelly uh, personality out in the open, um, you know, kind of helps people. Uh, you know, get a better understanding that this might be one of those stories where there really are no good guys.
1: Barton Key got to know Congressman Sickles first, and the congressman helped him. Key was worried that President Buchanan would appoint someone else to his position as DC's top prosecutor.
2: Sickles and Key seemed to have kind of gotten together through some card games and social circles, and the two men took a liking to each other. Sickles helped Key retain his position as uh, as district attorney.
1: Teresa Sickles maintained a very busy social calendar as the wife of a congressman. She hosted weekly dinners for guests at their Lafayette Square home. She was invited to countless social gatherings and parties, ones that her husband often could not attend.
2: And it was not uncommon for uh, eligible bachelors to somewhat platonically escort married women, you know, wives of friends and that sort of thing to these parties.
1: Perhaps no bachelor was more eligible than Barton Key.
2: So at some point, while Sickles is away, Key starts escorting Teresa to parties. uh, It quickly seems to develop into uh, some romantic escapades between Key and Teresa. The two of them, they're they're meeting at parties, uh, they're often seen leaving together, uh, and more and more people start to see these two around uh, Washington, D.C. at uh, all hours of the day and the night.
1: The torrid affair raged throughout 1858, in rented apartments, on parlor sofas, even in secluded portions of the old congressional cemetery. After one fancy costume ball, Teresa, dressed as Little Red Riding Hood, was seen entering a carriage at 2 a.m. with Key clad as an English huntsman. Their coach driver was instructed to drive around Washington. As the affair continued, the two lovers started to get reckless.
2: Key decides he's going to rent a house a few blocks away from Lafayette Square, and this is where Key and Teresa start having uh, rendezvous in in this rented sort of love shack.
1: Key usually turned up first at the love nest, He placed a white ribbon or towel in the shutters of the upstairs window as a signal to Teresa, who could see the window from her own across the square. Teresa arrived and entered at the back door. People started to notice.
2: On the evening of February 24th, 1859, it all comes crashing down on key. Uh, after dinner that night, Sickles retires to his study and he opens up uh, the evening mail. And one of the things he's received in the mail is an anonymous letter.
1: Dear sir, the letter began.
2: With deep regret, I enclose your address a few lines, but an indispensable duty compels me so to do, seeing that you are greatly imposed upon. It's pretty graphic stuff for the 1850s. Um, It talks about how, you know, your wife and Key, uh, who is no gentleman, you know, the two of them have been spotted uh, going into this rented house. And, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Sickles, I assure you that Key has more use of your wife than you have.
1: Those are tough words for any husband to read, even one with a mild manner and a gentle disposition. Dan Sickles had neither. But he was an experienced lawyer. Sickles' probe into his wife Teresa's affair with Barton Key was both prompt
2: and thorough. Sickles spends the next day or so kind of investigating, sends some friends around to the neighborhood where the, uh, the love shack is, and pretty much confirms that, uh, yes, uh, you know, the rumors are true.
1: Sickles confronted Teresa about the affair. He even extracted a written confession from her on the spot.
2: She pretty much spells it all out. You know, she says, uh, I did what is normal for a wicked woman to do.
1: But, of course, her lover, Barton Key, had no idea that the game was up. And as it turned out, Key's fate, like his poet father's fame, hinged on a cloth waving in the breeze. Up next, how an American congressman got away with murder. Don't miss the CBS All Access original series that will make you ask yourself, what dimension are you even in? Stream The Twilight Zone, hosted and narrated by Academy Award winner Jordan Peele in a role made famous by the classic show's creator, Rod Serling. The mind-bending reimagining will take you through the genres of sci-fi, horror, and fantasy to explore humanity's hopes, fears, prides, and prejudices in ways you've never thought possible until now. Not only does The Twilight Zone offer a new take on a television classic, it also features an all-star cast, including Seth Rogen, Adam Scott, John Cho, Greg Kinnear, Allison Tolman, Jacob Tremblay, and more. Enter a new dimension, not only of sight and sound, but of mind. The Twilight Zone is now streaming exclusively on CBS All Access, new episodes every Thursday. Cross over into another dimension. Visit cbs.com slash ThreadTZ to redeem your free trial today. That's cbs.com slash ThreadTZ to redeem your free trial of CBS All Access. Dan Sickles was tough, but he could get quite emotional at times. Once when a friend of his passed away, Sickles wept uncontrollably at the funeral. One witness said that the future congressman raved, tore up and down the graveyard, shrieking, his grief so aggravating that the other mourners worried his mind would entirely give way. Sickles' ten-minute outburst led to his removal from the cemetery. One of Sickles' friends put it mildly, Dan was subject to very sudden emotions. Sickles was inconsolable after Teresa confessed her affair with Barton Key, James Hessler again.
2: People who see him over that one to two day period just say that Sickles looks like a wild man. One person said, you know, I saw him on the streets and he looked like he was going to kill every man, woman and child uh, that he came across. Uh, Another friend said, you know, that he saw Sickles in the, uh, you know, in one of the offices in Congress and Sickles emotionally flung himself onto his sofa and, you know, buried his head in the pillow and, and started crying.
1: That weekend, Sickles retreated to the sanctuary of his home on Lafayette Square.
2: Sunday, February 27th is a beautiful spring day. Uh, Temperatures are about 54 degrees, you know, the kind of spring day that, uh, you know, you see in Washington sometimes. And Sickles is still very emotionally distraught again the household servants would later say that they could you know they could hear him uh, crying groaning moaning you know just as sobs are kind of carrying throughout the house
1: some of sickles closest friends came by the house to console him one of them was an old new york friend named sam butterworth sickles ranted to his friend i am a dishonored and ruined man He was worried that once word of the affair got around town, his reputation and his political career would be destroyed.
2: Finally, at some point, Sickles looks out the window, sees Key out there, and Sickles kind of just exclaims, you know, my God, that villain, that bastard has just passed my house. Uh, This is horrible. The whole town is going to know about this. You know, I'm going to be disgraced. I'm going to be humiliated.
1: Barton Key started that Sunday morning with a shave and a hair trim at a D.C. barbershop. He then walked up Pennsylvania Avenue towards Lafayette Square. Key, too, received an anonymous letter warning him that Dan Sickles knew about the affair. It didn't keep him from Lafayette Square. The anxious D.C. attorney prowled the park for two hours, hoping to catch a glimpse of his beloved or a signal from her that she could meet him.
2: Well, while Sickles and Butterworth are, are, you know, thinking about what they're going to do Key, meanwhile, is strolling through Lafayette Park, waiting for Teresa to come out and play. And so he's kinda of go Key is kinda of going back and forth in front of the Sickles house. Then the sickle's
1: dog, an Italian greyhound named Dandy, catches sight of his favorite gentleman caller and rushes into the square to greet him. Barton Key pulls out a white handkerchief and whirls it at the dog. Maybe it's meant to be a signal to Teresa as well. Whatever the reason, Key's waving white banner gave proof through the afternoon that the adulterer was still there. You can imagine the fireworks display that follows when Sickles sees the handsomest man in Washington society outside his window. The enraged congressman heads for the door.
2: But before Sickles leaves the house, he throws on an overcoat and he puts a, uh, a revolver and two Derringers in his coat pocket and follows behind Butterworth as they go into uh, Lafayette Square.
1: Sickles charges towards Key. He calls out a phrase that sounds ripped from a theatrical drama.
2: He says, you scoundrel, you've dishonored my house, and you must die. Um, Sickles pulls out one of his guns, and the first shot only grazes Key, but Key realizes he's in trouble at this point, shouts murder, tries to get the attention of, you know, again, probably at least six or seven people who are are nearby and watching all of this, Um, and there's a struggle. And while they're struggling, maybe he puts Sickles in some kind of bear hug. But Sickles breaks free from the bear hug and then pulls out another gun. Key at this point again shouts, you know, don't murder me.
1: Then Key reaches into his pocket.
2: Is he going to pull out a gun? No, all he's got is a pair of opera glasses. So he throws the opera glasses uh, harmlessly at Sickles, all the time kind of shouting, you know, don't murder me, don't shoot.
1: But Dan Sickles shows no mercy for the man who has dishonored him.
2: Sickles gets off a second shot, uh, and this one basically hits Key around the groin. Key gasps. He staggers. You know, I'm um, shot, and he starts to, um, starts to slump down to the ground. Sickles puts the gun up to Key point blank. It misfires, uh, puts it to Key's chest, and basically fires point blank into Key's chest um, near his heart. That's the fatal shot.
1: Sickles stands over his wounded prey. The congressman mutters over and over, he has violated my bed, he has violated my bed, as the blood runs out of the dying Barton Key.
2: Obviously, immediately, this is the talk of Washington. Uh, A young page goes into the White House and says to President Buchanan, you know, you're not going to believe what happened. Sickles just shot Key.
1: Souvenir hunters cut pieces of wood from the tree close to where Key fell in Lafayette Square. Artists from the newspapers set up their easels to paint the scene of the crime. Dan Sickles was placed in a cold, damp cell in the city jail. He reportedly asked the warden if there was a chance of getting better accommodations. The warden replied, This is the best place you members of Congress have afforded us. Meanwhile, news of the murder continued to spread
2: once that gets out public opinion and the newspapers uh, are almost unanimously in sickles's favor uh you know the idea is that uh you know you just don't do that in 1850s society i mean you just didn't sleep with another guy's wife and um and expect to get away with it
1: but the bigger question of course was could you kill your wife's lover and get away with it Up next, the perilous courtroom fight that captivated the country, just before a civil war would divide it. the freedom they give to do the things in life that we really want and sometimes need to do. Dinner out, here's my card. New tires for the car, here's my card. But what's not so great are the high interest rates. Most people just accept the high interest rates that credit cards charge as a necessary evil. We say to ourselves, what are you gonna do about it? Well, here's what you can do. Get a low fixed rate credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream and pay off those credit card balances. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000. Plus, you could get your money as soon as the day you apply. Now, the average credit card company out there charges over 19% APR. But with Lightstream, you can get a fixed rate as low as 6.14% APR with autopay. Want to get an interest rate that's even lower than that? Apply today at lightstream.com slash thread and get an additional interest rate discount. That's lightstream.com slash thread for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash thread. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash thread for more information. Congressman Dan Sickles was charged with the murder of Barton Key. A trial was set for April 1859.
2: There's a lot of parallels between what happens to uh, Sickles in the 1850s and, you know, O.J. Simpson during our time.
1: Like the importance of a big time lawyer, ideally, many big time lawyers.
2: The first thing that Congressman Sickles does is he assembles a legal dream team. Um, Now the dream team today is best known for the presence of future Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, but Stanton actually was not the lead attorney.
1: For that, Sickles engaged a brilliant lawyer from his hometown of New York, James T. Brady. Brady at one time had been the city's district attorney at age 28. He had been offered the position of U.S. Attorney General.
2: Brady was beyond proficient in almost any area of the law. He had supposedly won 51 out of 52 murder trials. So with with Brady in the lead, and then Edwin Stanton uh, and some other New York attorneys, Sickles comes into court, uh, you know, ready for action.
1: Sickles' all-star group of lawyers knew that their client was in great legal peril. Sickles shot an unarmed man multiple times in broad daylight in front of dozens of bystanders. He ignored his victim's repeated pleas for mercy. The congressman would hang unless Sickles' legal team could come up with a stellar defense. Sickles' lead attorney, James Brady, was fascinated by issues of insanity and invoked the defense of permanent insanity in other trials. But no lawyer in America, including Brady, had ever attempted a plea of temporary insanity. The much-anticipated trial was held at City Hall, where Barton Key had worked just a few months before. The courtroom was packed. The accused congressman, Dan Sickles, was placed in the dock, a cage-like area that one observer described as a chicken coop with a chair placed inside it. Sickles pled not guilty. His arsenal of top attorneys was opposed by a single government
2: lawyer. Prosecution is one man, uh, basically uh, a man by uh, attorney by the name of Robert Old, who was uh, uh, Philip Barton Key's assistant. Uh, He basically gets a battlefield promotion when his boss is killed. uh, And now Old is going to have to prosecute his um, his boss's killer. So right off the bat, you get you get the sense that the prosecution is is badly outmatched.
1: The prosecution argued Sickles was, quote, moved and seduced by the instigation of the devil to murder his helpless victim on the Sabbath. Key, they claimed, was unarmed, whereas his assailant was a walking magazine who wore a convenient overcoat on an inconveniently warm day. Meanwhile, Sickles' dream team went on the offensive. They focused on Barton Key's
2: conduct. The defense immediately trots out 43 witnesses who knew about the affair. And so they just start putting one person on the stand after the other. Did you know they were sleeping together? Did you see it? Stanton talks about Key supposedly dragging Teresa day by day through the streets, you know, to gratify his lust. um, And that she's one step above prostitution at this point. Uh, So they're really laying it on thick.
1: The result was that when Sickles learned about his wife's affair and saw her lover outside his window, his mind became diseased, according to the defense. And they argued that if Sickles, quote, labored under insanity at the time of the commission of the act in question, it would leave him legally unaccountable.
2: The case is remembered as the first temporary insanity defense. Sickles'
1: lead attorney, James Brady, invoked another insanity case to make his argument, a case from another country, England, the McNaughton case. Daniel McNaughton was an unstable woodcutter who tried to murder the British Prime Minister under the delusion that he was being politically persecuted. McNaughton was acquitted by reason of being insane. McNaughton's delusions, unlike Dan Sickles' jealous rage, persisted over a long period of time. But, James Brady argued, the principle should be the same. What mattered was whether the defendant was mentally unsound at the time he committed the act in question. It proved to be a winning argument, and America didn't get to see a congressman hanged.
2: The jury's only gone for 70 minutes.
1: Daniel Edgar Sickles was found not guilty.
2: The courtroom goes berserk, you know, there's pandemonium. Everybody is celebrating. People are ripping clothes off of Sickles for souvenirs, uh, but they, they get them out of there. Sickles was free to go
1: and remain in Congress. Hundreds would join him at a victory party that evening. The success of Sickles' temporary insanity plea also ushered in a new legal era. As one of Sickles' dream team put it to the press, An honest, upright, and intelligent American jury has established a precedent which all civilized nations should henceforth recognize and be guided by. What happened next in the life of Dan Sickles is really worthy of its own thread. First, he became an outcast in Congress.
2: So he does not run for re-election, which is ultimately going to, um, you know, leave him back in New York practicing law as a private citizen when the American Civil War starts in uh, the spring of 1861. I would say in a lot of ways the American Civil War comes along at the perfect time for Dan Sickles because he needs a new career.
1: And because he was never hanged for the murder of Barton Key, Dan Sickles was free to play another role on the stage of history this time at the Battle of Gettysburg in 1863.
2: By that point in the war, Sickles and the commanding general of the Army of the Potomac, George Gordon Meade, do not like each other. So on the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg, Meade and Sickles have basically a spectacular failure to communicate Uh, Meade orders Sickles to guard the left flank of the Union Army's position. Uh, Sickles either uh, misinterprets his orders or outright disobeys them, moves his troops too far forward, uh, and then will face the brunt of the Confederate attack on July 2nd at Gettysburg. Many people think Sickles nearly loses the battle for the Northern Army at Gettysburg.
1: That's right. Dan Sickles nearly changed the course of the Civil War. But Sickles' defense team did help change the course of American law. The case laid the groundwork for countless criminals to plead temporary insanity. That included Harry Thaw in 1906 and Lorena Bobbitt in 1994, as we saw in previous episodes this season. Next on the thread, we return to the 1843 case in England that saved Dan Sickles. But we go back even further to 1800 and dissect the first modern insanity defense. A former British soldier traumatized by battle tries to kill the King of England. The Thread is produced by Robert Kulos, Sophia Perpetua, and me, Sean Braswell. Chris Hoff engineered our show. This episode features the Star-Spangled Banner, arranged by Robert Aslin. To learn more about The Thread, visit ozzy.com slash thread all one word. And make sure to subscribe to The Thread on Apple Podcasts, follow us on iHeartRadio, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out at ozzy.com or on Twitter and Facebook. If you love surprising, engaging stories from history, look no further than the flashback section of Ozzy.com. That's ozy.com.